1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. Now. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Loveline. Hope you've been watching my new show. I'm listening to Stay Connected. It's on all the Radio.com handles. It's been beautiful. It's been really amazing. It's every night at 5 p.m. on the uh, West Coast, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. You can check it out on all the Radio.com handles and go back if you want to see the past episodes on their, uh, what is it, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. It's amazing stuff. It's celebrities and experts. Uh, you can write in your questions, too. It's been a really beautiful thing to bond in these ways. Um yeah. So I hope you're checking it out. All right. Let's talk about some news. Sia adopts two teenage boys as they were aging out of foster care. I love that. They were hitting 18. Ugh oh, she does amazing stuff. She's one of those people who kind of flies under the radar, but what a beautiful thing. A lot of people tend to want to adopt children. And so I'm glad that she's willing to give a chance and opportunity to people that aren't the quote unquote, standardly sought out age. Um, That's awesome. See, you. keep doing it. Also, keep making that music. She has some new stuff coming out. I'm here for that. Also, researchers are saying uh, we shouldn't be worrying about children's education. We should be thinking more about their mental health. Everyone's worried about getting back to school so they can learn, learn, learn. Grades, grades, grades. A lot of that doesn't really matter have anything to do with anything. I mean, we've all looked back and said that, like, are we really using half the things we had to learn in school? Nope, we're not. But mental health, that is something that really matters and does definitely impact us. And we do take forward into our adult and future lives. And so they're saying, care more about that. Children are to come back to school with different levels of post-traumatic stress from all the things that are coming out of the world right now in general, but especially from the pandemic. Not everyone is coming from a safe, supportive family. Some people are in homes with people that are active addicts or domestic violence situations or other sorts of struggles. Parents that aren't able to get their mental health needs met and that's trickling it down and impacting their children. Kids are bored, they're lonely. All sorts of things are going on, and so the experts are saying, and I'm saying this too, let's worry less about schools and meeting standards, and more about making sure that they're going to get their mental health needs um, met. And we got to pay attention to that. So give them some time to see each other, to have some fun. Um, let's let's let them talk about what their experiences were like. Um, you know, again, they'll, they'll catch up in the ways they need to be, but, um, I'm worried about their mental health. Cause that's going to be more long lasting more so than the education. So when schools do open up, let's focus more on easing them back into the classroom environment, right? Encouraging them to see their friends, talk to their friends, catch up, play with them rather than just focusing on all the missing material, because that's my concern that that's what's going to happen is catch up, catch up. Uh, but instead of that, let's let the exams meet the students where they're now at, you know what I mean? Like, Institutions shouldn't come before people so let's see where the kids are all at and let the institutions kind of line up and meet them there uh the apa american psychological associations so i guess both of them essentially would be but this is the psych association high stress related to coronavirus is the new normal they're saying for many parents you think (laughs) their parents are at home worried about bills finances some are unemployed underemployed um not fully employed. They're overloaded stress. daycare's not available. Their friends aren't seeing their friends. I mean, there's so much that they're encountering. And of course they're human beings. So they have their own lives. So parents, my hat is off to you. Like I wish I had five hats. Um, I can't imagine doing the work you're doing right now, but bless you. <laughs> Um, uh, that is that is wild. Also, we're talking a lot about the exhaustion from Zoom. Some people are, as we're saying, zoomed the F out. That's a headline in an article. And it's talking about ways to kind of deal the Zoom exhaustion. And they're basically saying, and this is this is stunning, you know, remember, the way we really feel like we're in real time and connecting to someone is FaceTime, touch, time together. But now we have to work really hard to process nonverbal cues, delays and silence, which we can't necessarily read. There's anxiety. We're wondering about how we look, we're having to encounter some body stuff. Um, it's really odd. And it's also a burnout. Like In real time, we can you know, uh, play with a coffee cup, doodle, move around, look around, get up. But when you're in a Zoom meeting, you literally cannot move from your chair and you are facing forward. Um, and that's why for a lot of therapy I'm doing, I'm doing it via FaceTime or phone call so I can walk around and move my body. I'm honoring. That's body positive. That's mental health. My body needs movement. I cannot sit there in a rigid position staring at a screen endlessly. So really think about that, like employers. Does that meeting even need, even need to be had? Or as long as it is, teachers, you as well. Maybe classes need to be half the time, more reading assignments, more writing assignments, whatever you need to do. But the idea that we're just gonna do what you used to do in the office, but now online, that's exhausting for the teacher and student, for the employer and employee. So reduce that, change that, fix that, make it more fun, limit it, whatever you need to do. But like, think about that. Because um, I have some friends that are in school online and they're telling me their schedules. And I'm like, that is exhausting and miserable for everyone um also another article from the new york post this was like huh nurse say that some patients are attending coronavirus parties to intentionally get sick uh they're treating some patients that were trying to catch the deadly bug to develop immunity now what they're saying is that it, it doesn't work um, not only does it not work because you don't really know that the impact's going to have on you, and what these people are hoping to do is develop antibodies so they don't have to follow these precautions. So they're basically saying, if I can just get it out of the way and out of my system, then I'm going to heal, then I'm going to be good, and then I can go back out and live my life. And they're saying the problem is you can easily kill someone you love because you don't know at what point you can't reinfect someone. You don't know at what point you might have gotten infected, maybe be e- asymptomatic and not even know that you've been infected. But they're basically saying, and I don't know that I can't believe this has to be said. There's no circumstance under which we want people to actively pursue getting COVID. (laughs) My God, the things we're having to tell people in this time. It's kind of breaking my heart, but this is where we are right now. Um, All right, y'all. I got you back. Listen to "Love Line" with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, y'all. Welcome back to Loveline. Hope you've been watching my new show. I'm listening to Stay Connected. It's on all the radio.com handles. It's been beautiful. It's been really amazing. It's every night at 5 p.m. on the uh, West Coast, 8 p.m. on the East Coast. You can check it out on all the radio.com handles and go back if you want to see the past episodes on their, uh, what is it, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. It's amazing stuff. It's celebrities and experts. Uh, you can write in your questions, too. It's been a really beautiful thing to bond in these ways. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I hope you're checking it out. All right, let's talk about some news. Sia adopts two teenage boys as they were aging out of foster care. I love that. They were hitting 18. She does amazing stuff. She's one of those people who kind of flies under the radar. What a beautiful thing. A lot of people tend to want to adopt children, and so I'm glad that she's willing to give a chance and opportunity to people that aren't the quote-unquote standardly sought-out age. Um, that's awesome. See, you keep doing it. Also, keep making that music. She has some new stuff coming out. I'm here for that. Also, researchers are saying uh, we shouldn't be worrying about children's education. We should be thinking more about their mental health. Everyone's worried about getting back to school so they can learn, learn, learn. Grades, grades, grades. A lot of that doesn't really matter, have anything to do with anything. I mean, we've all looked back and said that, like, what are we really using half the things we had to learn at school? Nope, we're not. But mental health, that is something that really matters and does definitely impact us. And we do take forward into our adult and future lives. And so they're saying, care more about that. Children are to come back to school with different levels of post-traumatic stress from all the things that are coming out of the world right now in general, but especially from the pandemic. Not everyone is coming from a safe, supportive family. Some people are in homes with people that are active addicts or domestic violence situations or other sorts of struggles. Parents that aren't able to get their mental health needs met and that's trickling it down and impacting their children. Kids are bored, they're lonely. All sorts of things are going on, and so the experts are saying, and I'm saying this too, let's worry less about schools and meeting standards, and more about making sure that they're going to get their mental health needs um, met. And we got to pay attention to that. So give them some time to see each other, to have some fun. Um, let's let's let them talk about what their experiences were like. Um, you know, again, they'll, they'll catch up in the ways they need to be, but, um, I'm worried about their mental health. Cause that's going to be more long lasting more so than the education. So when schools do open up, let's focus more on easing them back into the classroom environment, right? Encouraging them to see their friends, talk to their friends, catch up, play with them rather than just focusing on all the missing material, because that's my concern that that's what's going to happen is catch up, catch up. Uh, but instead of that, let's let the exams meet the students where they're now at, you know what I mean? Like, institutions shouldn't come before people. So let's see where the kids are all at and let the institutions kind of line up and meet them there. Uh, The APA, American Psychological Associations. Well, I guess both of them essentially would be, but this is the psych association. High stress related to coronavirus is the new normal they're saying for many parents. You think? (laughs) Their parents are at home worried about bills, finances. Some are unemployed, underemployed, um, not fully employed. They're overloaded, Daycare Daycare's not available. Their friends aren't seeing their friends. I mean, there's so much that they're encountering. And of course, they're human beings, so they have their own lives. So parents, my hat is off to you. Like, I wish I had five hats. Um, I can't imagine doing the work you're doing right now, but bless you. Um, I, that is that is wild. Also, we're talking a lot about the exhaustion from Zoom. Some people, as we're saying, Zoomed the F out. That's a headline in an article. And it's talking about ways to kind of deal the Zoom exhaustion. And they're basically saying, and this is, this is stunning. You know, remember, the way we really feel like we're in real time, and connecting to someone is FaceTime, touch, time together. But now we have to work really hard to process nonverbal cues, delays, and silence, which we can't necessarily read. There's anxiety. We're wondering about how we look. We're having to encounter some body stuff. Um, it's really odd, and it's also a burnout. Like in real time, we can you know, uh, play with a coffee cup, doodle, move around, look around, get up. But when you're in a Zoom meeting, you literally cannot move from your chair, and you are facing forward. Um, And that's why for a lot of therapy I'm doing, I'm doing it via FaceTime or phone call so I can walk around and move my body. I'm honoring. That's body positive. That's mental health. My body needs movement. I cannot sit there in a rigid position staring at a screen endlessly. So really think about that, like employers, does that meeting even need need to be had or as long as it is teachers, you as well, maybe classes need to be half the time, more reading assignments, more writing assignments, whatever you need to do. But the idea that we're just going to do what used to do in the office, but now online, that's exhausting for the teacher and student, for the employer and employee. So reduce that, change that, fix that, make it more fun, limit it, whatever you need to do. But like, Think about that Um, because I have some friends that are in school online and they're telling me their schedules and I'm like, that is exhausting and miserable for everyone. Um, Also, another article from the New York Post, this was like, huh? Nurses say that some patients are attending coronavirus parties to intentionally get sick. Uh, They're treating some patients that were trying to catch the deadly bug to develop immunity. Now, what they're saying is that it, it doesn't work. Um, not only does it not work because you don't really know that the impact going to have on you. And what these people are hoping to do is develop antibodies so they don't have to follow these precautions. So they're basically saying, if I can just get it out of the way and out of my system, then I'm going to heal, then I'm going to be good, and then I go back out and live my life. And they're saying the problem is you can easily kill someone you love because – you don't know at what point you can't reinfect someone. You don't know at what point you might have gotten infected, maybe be asymptomatic and not even know that you've been infected. But they're basically saying, and I don't know that, I can't believe this has to be said, there's no circumstance under which we want people to actively pursue getting COVID. <laughs> my God, the things we're having to tell people in this time. It's kind of breaking my heart, but this is where we are right now. Um, all right, y'all, I got you back. Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Some people are making some amazing new friends, building community, and also finding love. And I'm all about people finding those old-school creative ways uh, or new ways of connecting and dating, dating and, and sexuality in the time of COVID. It's definitely not a dull thing. All right, we'll be going to our buddy, James Simmons, nurse practitioner and uh, host of Ask the NP. What's going on? James, how are you?
2: I am doing very well. How are you, Chris?
1: Good. Are we? Did we drop the queue Are we not using the queue anymore?
2: Oh, no. we're still, Well, always using the queue <laughs> <laughs> It must have just disappeared. Here, that's all right. James Simmons or James Q. Simmons. Works. All it's right. Okay. So
1: many different names. Um, how, how are you doing right now? How's your mental health this week?
2: Uh, I'm good. You know, I, I do a partnership with Providence um, Medical Health System. Uh, in general, we actually talk a lot about mental health. And, you know, May is obviously uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And it was really interesting because a lot of the video is sort of about um, me just being vulnerable a little bit and me, you know, saying, Hey, you know, I normally am here and like, here's some tips about your mental health and here's what other folks are doing. Or, you know, we do a lot of videos around, you know, February being heart month, those things like that. And for some reason in the middle of the video, I just, I just stopped. And I was like, you know what, my mental health isn't super great these days. It's It fluctuates a lot. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of power in acknowledging that and knowing that I have A platform. And knowing that, uh, you know, you and Jay were just talking about everyone's sort of journey and their comfortability level with everything going on is very different. And I know the tools and resources that I need to use to employ to keep my mental health in a place where it's still really manageable for me. And I don't get to a really dark place where we're we're talking about suicide or, you know, clinical levels of depression. Um, But I just I, I was feeling a little bit vulnerable in that moment. And I think even on your platform, Chris, it's really important to just share like today I'm feeling pretty good. Um, but last week I wasn't, you know, it wasn't great last week.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that honesty is I think what's so healing because I think part of like how we're going to dismantle some of the mental health challenges, more on a macro level are getting people familiar asking and actually hearing an honest answer. Like we're we're, we're tired of those days
2: of everyone saying, "I'm fine. I'm doing fine." So, "Oh, I'm great. Yeah. Thanks." Yeah. Like no, actually, I mean even if we're great, even if you're a Kardashian right now, you're probably not super great. You know, there's this is this whole thing is really impacting people in in more ways than a lot of I think a lot of times we even realize and even even I think starting to appreciate um, where other people are, you know, this past weekend with, uh, you know, being Memorial day and there were a lot of people out. And I have to say that, you know, I am a medical professional. I'm a public health professional and this is what I do. And seeing so many people out, it, it, it does trigger these, these emotions and these thoughts about is everything I'm reading is everything I'm learning is everything I'm experiencing at the hospital. True. Because so many people are ignoring the advice of public health officials, and ignoring the advice of what we're saying, and even something like that can sort of set in and sort of a change your mood and change your mental health. About you know, well, this I'm hearing about this one thing, and I'm being told, you know, wear a mask and be careful and still physically distance and all of these things, and then yet we're seeing people having parties in Ocean City, Maryland, and and Lake of the Ozarks. It's, it's pretty phenomenal what even just those juxtapositions can do to our mental health.
1: Yeah, it can also raise uh, the bar of the risk we're willing to take. When you only see people following the rules, anything outside of that feels like a risk. But when you see people with no masks, hugging, leaning against each other in the pool, you start to kind of water down some of the things you might, you know, what what the risk level felt for some other things you're doing. And that's why, like, a lot of clients are asking me that question. Do you think it's okay if I? And as someone who also works mm. in public health, mancers like, no, on record, I'm giving the official no to everything you're asking me. Now you have to decide what you want to do with that. But I'm telling them no. You right. cannot have visitors. No, you cannot hold that party. Still, no, you cannot travel out of state. Like I'm not going to give you that permission. So uh, right. I think we're right. all on the same page with that. But yeah, watching the news was really unsettling because it reminds you that like we're not out of the thick of it. Now sticking with that, here's here's a question. And Jay kind of gently brought this up. What is mm-hmm. your, what are your thoughts on this whole idea of the uh, positive? Antibody test relief where people are thinking, mm-hmm. Oh, came back positive, I'm good now.
2: <laughs> well, so I have really two issues with that, and I guess two thoughts about that. I should say, issues is such a strong word. The antibody tests right now are just not as good as we need them to be. So, you know, this whole concept of herd immunity, whether you know, where everyone becomes immune to SARS CoV 2, COVID 19 through either vaccination or being exposed to it, we need to get to about 85 to 95% of individuals having been exposed to this before we're completely immune. Even at that point, we don't understand if you've been in contact with COVID-19, and let's say you got sick from it or you did not get sick from it doesn't matter. If you've been exposed to it, you're gonna develop antibodies. We don't know how protective those antibodies are and for how long. So in some other diseases, we can say, okay, great, you've had measles shots a couple of times, you're good. You're protected from measles for like 40 years. Off you go, have fun.
1: Right, or like chicken but, pox, right? If you've had chickenpox like as a chicken child, pox. you're good for life.
2: You're good, you know, you might need a little booster around oh. age 55, 60, somewhere in there, you know. Right, um, now you tell me. <laughs> uh, right, exactly. <laughs> but but it lasts a long time and we know that from years and years and years and years of evidence. We just don't have that. We've got months at best of evidence from this. So. You know, the tests themselves are showing right now they're only about 60 to 70 percent accurate. To me, that's not good enough. If I were to get the antibody test, because I want to know, too, just like Jay was saying, I I would love to know and say, oh, my gosh, I've been exposed. I've developed antibodies. I'm going to be protected now. And what that what the next layer of that is, is, okay, maybe I can start leading a more normal life.
1: All right. Now let's go to Jay Rodriguez. O.G. Queer Eye Emmy Award winner, actor, singer, host. What doesn't he do? What's up, Jay? Well, he doesn't
0: work these days. That's what he's not doing. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> Even with all those hustles, right? It's a tough time.
0: I think that's, um, I, I have to say, it's a very, been uh, for the artistic community, um, I'm basically a gig employee, um, you know, working freelance. I think that my longest uh, job in recent history was when I when I did the morning show over at Channel Q, um, part of the Radio.com family. Um, but really, my life has always been jumping from TV show to to, to live cabaret tours or even stage shows in Vegas. And so I, I'm just used to being able to move. And most of not all my work is generally uh, around large audiences of people. And so um, a lot of gig employees like myself are finding ourselves a little displaced and not eligible for unemployment and trying to figure out this new normal.
1: Well, and it's interesting because I think it seems to me like you've found somewhat of a solution. So tell me what it's like for you on the inside of it. On the outside, I see people like you bringing us their art, still making yourselves accessible, still performing, making us laugh, giving us something to do with our time. What is it like for you on the inside when you're doing this work from home now?
0: Yeah, so for me, um, I've been going live on my Facebook, which is Facebook.com, Jay Rodriguez fan page on Thursdays and doing a live virtual show, like what I would do in my cabaret shows. And I've been really having a lot of fun with it because Facebook, you can use filters. And so it starts feeling like a music video. And then I jump over to my Instagram. It's, you know, like uh, that happens. It's, you know, like uh, 630. And then from seven, it's, I've been basically doing a social media thing on Thursdays. And that's really helped kind of make, you know, uh, small ends meet and just to get your basic needs um, met. It's not necessarily sustainable, but I will say it's really been a really enlightening time having other artists talk about where they're at, um, because many of them, you know, the optics, I'm on Family Feud on Sunday night with the Queer Eye versus Queer Eye. That's so going to be phenomenal, of that,
1: first off. That's it's awesome. It's going to be
0: great. And I'm really excited for everyone to watch on ABC on Sunday night. But I think for many of us performers, there was like a hurdle of having to get past, okay, this is my new normal. And um, I I need to just do what I need to do to survive and not necessarily concern myself too much on on what the optics of this are. Oh, you work in television. You were on a, a legendary show. You must get residuals. None of that's factual but i think we all i never knew a lot about my other friends uh, financial status until this this virus hit.
1: It's it's very it's a very honest moment. I agree with that. Like a lot of truth is coming out and we're also having to encounter our own sense of like competence and what our confidence is tied to. So my clients in my practice are having some really uh, wildly transformative experiences around this. But what's it like for you performing at home? Does it still give you some of the joy and the fun as as you would at a yeah, cabaret show? Yeah, i think
0: that's yeah, I think what's so, been so great is I've really kind of uh, I've allotted like from five to six thirty every day to be on my Facebook and just kind of engage those people I haven't really connected with from all over the world, and just having that time where they get to see me, they can ask me anything, having real conversations and connecting with people all over the world about their experience and kind of you know pulling back the curtain on my own professional life and really just having this connection um, with people who just only know me as a performer they've seen on television or on stage and or through social media. And I found that connection really joyous. And even just getting in touch with my primal roots as a performer and as a singer, there's something really special. I remember my darkest moment in my life in therapy. My therapist said, when was the last time you sang? And I was like, well, I can't make money like that. As You know, I don't do that anymore. And he's like, I think you need to bring that into the fold a little more. And I left with a chip on my shoulder But in the car ride home, I started humming to myself in the shower, started singing. And then two weeks later, I booked a show and I was like, oh, yeah, this is my happy place. And now, even though my happy place is with a lot of ring lights and, you know, (laughs) uh, lights and lasers (laughs) in my kitchen for a show, um, I think the joy is still the same as it would have been if I was performing in front of 1,200 people.
1: I mean, as a as a viewer. I love it. There's something so, and to use your word, primal about watching someone perform in the most bare bones way and style. They're in their home, not necessarily wearing makeup. They don't have the costumes. I mean, so again, as a viewer, it's been really beautiful. And it also almost lines up with the fact that I think a lot of us just want more realness and rawness and vulnerability right now anyway.
0: I agree. And I think that's some of the, the hardest things, even when I've had, you know, times on my Facebook live, uh, which is 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time every day where I've gotten emotional and I found myself catching myself apologizing for being emotional. And while spending weeks telling these people, hey, you should be open to feeling all the feels. And then when it happened to me in real time, while they're all watching, I'm like, oh my God, ew, this is so gross that I'm doing this. And they're like, no, it's not. Feel, you're allowed to feel. And it's sometimes easier to say it to people than it is to embody it. And so it's been a real... Um, Uh, It's been really great to practice those kind of things that I've helped other people kind of get in touch with to be able to practice it myself and embrace that vulnerability and to honestly, you know, own where, where I'm at and try to, to move forward with as much integrity as possible.
1: Oh, so beautifully said. I mean, the the work, in the way you just talked about your work, it mirrors like just good relationship skills, which is, like when we're at our most honest and vulnerable, that's when people really feel like they've connected with us and to us and gotten to know us. I know I put a IG story up where I was talking about how right now I'm in my own conundrum about what should I be doing with my time right now that'd be most meaningful for people in my practice and the world and the responses I got are beautiful, so I'm glad that you're getting good support around that vulnerability Um, what, what do you think is going to be the future of performance? Do you think that this will keep some people home? Because just personally, I never was a fan of giving telemedicine doing Skype or phone sessions with my patients. Now that I'm doing that, I, I it's something I'm more open to doing. So how has this shifted you as a performer?
0: Um, I think part of it is knowing that the new normal is is going to be with us for a while. And certainly Broadway is not slated to come back until 2021. Yeah. Um, and But in my position as a freelance performer, some of the places that I've worked in and done cabaret shows in that you know are spaces I love to work in where you're paid a really fair, good living wage um, are starting to open back up. And they are going to have performers. And I'm really battling with how I want to kind of bring myself back because I don't feel ready to be up close and personal. As singers, we spit involuntarily, you know, it's like, I I don't know where um, I fit into it, but the future of it for now is gonna be definitely, um, you know, in my home, I'm hosting Santa Monica Virtual Pride of which Channel Q is uh, our media sponsor. And so it's been great to kind of be able to connect with folks on, on that way but I feel the future is really uncertain. I have a a bunch of things that just keep getting pushed back in television. So in terms of actually being able to entertain the way I used to, I don't know when that's coming back. And to be real and honest, I'm kind of nervous. When you you get a
2: test that's only 60% accurate, Well, what about the other 40%? So maybe I actually have not been exposed. Was this a false positive or a false negative? Does it mean I need to go get tested again? Am I spending my money on that? And then let's say the test is positive. Great. I've been exposed. I survived COVID-19. I have antibodies, but we still don't know how long that protection lasts. So am I protected for three months, three years, three decades? We just don't know at this point. So As much as I would love for antibody tests to be sort of this like save us all and help us get the economy back full steam and everyone gets antibody tested and and all of that jazz, I just don't think we're there yet with the tests not only the tests are not doing what we need them to do and then also we just don't know enough about what our antibodies look like in terms of preventing us from getting infected from the disease again
1: all right so a little bit some false confidence built into some of this testing unfortunately yeah
2: okay nothing but (laughs) bad news from
1: you today all right well, Um, let uh, me give you one more uh, chance
2: I'll do it with
1: a smile on my face, (laughs) though. I'll give you one more chance to make us feel better about everything. Talk to us about the updated CDC clarifications about surface transmission and infections. Because I just this morning flipping through, trying to stay away from COVID news, a story pops up about the new danger, which is our reading glasses. And so it's like every time I turn around, there's a new shark in the water. So what is the CDC? Yeah, take them off, please. So what's the CDC telling us now?
2: Okay, so this this got really, really confusing. And ultimately, what happened is we the information sort of swung one way and then swung the other and ended up coming right back in the middle. And a lot of this is semantic. So long story short, the CDC, you know, I think we even talked about this um, on your show several weeks ago, we were talking about, okay, the virus can live on surfaces for a certain amount of time. So some surfaces as short as four or five hours, some surfaces as long as four or five days. Well, more research with that was showing that the it's parts of the virus that are living on these surfaces and you need a complete intact virus to actually pass on infection. So because of that information, what the CDC said was, oh, on certain surfaces, let's say this big wooden thing behind me here. Oh, okay, great. So coronavirus can maybe live on that in a laboratory environment for maybe up to 24 hours. Okay, oh, but it's only part of coronavirus. So it's not gonna infect you. So then they released this statement that said, it is very not likely for you to contract COVID-19 from touching surfaces because it's not a complete intact virus. And so even last week, a lot of us were like, oh my gosh, this is great. We can sort of relax about touching surfaces, cleaning our groceries when we come home, our reading glasses, things like that. Well, then they, the CDC got questioned about what they actually meant And then the CDC revised their guidelines again to say, well, you can get it from touching surfaces. It's just not as likely. So people are like, well, wait, can I get it from touching surfaces or can I not get it from touching surfaces? And what this ends up coming back to is if you, I love, this is my favorite example. So let's say you're in the grocery store, someone who has COVID-19 and they have a very high viral load of it, whether they know it or not. They sneeze right on something, that box of Pop-Tart. They sneeze on it. And then you touch it right away and then touch your mouth, nose, or eyes and rub it in. That is how you get surface transmission of COVID-19. Otherwise, let's say someone sneezed on that box of Pop-Tarts and then four days later you go and touch it. You're not going to get COVID-19 from touching that box of Pop Tarts four days later. But I appreciate
1: the I appreciate the loophole gray area that you're leaving in between that, right? Where we'll never quite know as we reach for something or take something home what might have happened before we got to it or for how or how long prior, right?
2: Well, and viruses need a viruses are very, very fragile. They don't like being they need a host and they don't like being outside of the body. They don't like being outside of their host. Right. So let's say someone did sneeze on something right away immediately with exposure to oxygen and the environment. The wind, the HVAC systems, all that stuff. Viruses don't really like that anyway, so it's not like it's a great environment for the virus to like live and thrive and survive. And again, you need an intact, complete virus, and probably a significant amount of it to cause an infection. So you're right. We always have to leave a little bit of a of a of a, a gray zone of a loophole, if you will. But ultimately, the risk of you contracting COVID-19 from touching a surface is very low, especially if you do the things we've been telling you to do, like wash your hands and use hand sanitizer.
1: Okay, that felt good. My my anxiety did drop a little bit. A little better.
2: Okay. Thank you for that. I'm feeling a little
1: better. I'm still going to be thoughtful about grabbing the pop tarts, but like I'm feeling a little more safe and soothed around it. So you just you all just, right, just grab right.
2: them and squirt a little hand sanitizer. You're good to go.
1: But I mean, it really comes down to what you closed out saying with that, which is don't don't do the mouth, nose, or eyes. And as long as you keep your hands yeah. away from that, wash hand, You don't have to worry about the transmission surface wise. So.
2: Yeah, it's really really, it really is that simple. It's kind of we've almost gone back to how we started talking about this thing in January and February. Right. We were like, well, just wash your hands and don't touch your face. And then, you know, "Ah," everything happened. And, you know, we're now we're at one hundred thousand cases and it's really intense and crazy. And it's really, really sad. But ultimately, as we sort of learn more about this, we still go back to those very basic fundamentals that have never changed. Wash your you hands, know. use hand sanitizer, don't touch your face. And now we know you got to stay at least six feet away from folks.
1: Or for Jay Rodriguez, as he said, 20 feet. So, you know, better okay. be safe than
2: sorry. <laughs> and if that's what Jay is comfortable, <laughs> I know Jay, he's great. And if, if that's what Jay is comfortable doing, then 20 feet it is.
1: Uh, James K. Q. Simmons, I'm bringing the Q back. Thanks for being a part of the <laughs> show. You. We'll
2: see you soon. Of course, my pleasure. Have Thanks, a beautiful guys.
1: night. I love when things come back to the basics. And that's kind of what we've been talking about in terms of public health, right? Wash your hands, stay six feet away, but also mental health. So just reminding you again to hit the big trifecta every single day. Connect to at least three people. Get some time outdoors within all the safety precautions and also focus on sleep. And as we open the show saying exercise, it just has to be 20 minutes of movement every single day to spike our mood and uh, combat the stress, anxiety and depression. If you have any questions, you can send them to us with the hashtag. I'm listening. Tweet those out or by sliding into the DMS on our love line page on ig we we'll be back tomorrow 5 p.m pacific that's 8 p.m eastern on all the radio.com handles you can also go there to check out prior episodes and shows as well as always thanks for hanging out and uh, you all have an awesome awesome night
0: i'm kind of nervous because i just got my antibody test back and i tested negative for the covid antibodies which means i have not been exposed i was kind of hoping that i had been right. uh, in some way i thought that would be a relief Um, And so just knowing that, God forbid, you know, that I were to get the virus, my best friend's at his mid-30s, super healthy, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and can't shake it two and a half months later, still testing positive, So even if salons open up, he can't go back to work. So it's just like knowing that piece is still in the ether. I think just being able to lean into what I can do in this moment, now, in my home, that still brings me some kind of joy and I can pass that joy forward. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at with it right now.
1: I, I love that you're challenging yourself with the ethical question of it, because we just saw a news story coming out that someone who did uh, violate the shelter in place and, and all those laws had come in contact with 91 people that now have to get tested and this person was positive. So I'm glad that performers like yourself are asking that question. Um,
0: Yeah. And a lot of people are thinking about what is going to be your quarantine. You know, they're thinking about expanding just their household and that's kind of a conversation that my friends are having. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not triggered by it, but I find myself um, confused on where I stand with it right now, to be honest, because I am lonely. I would like connection. I would like, to you know, kind of go back into the world, um, but I'm just not really willing to put my health or others' health at risk in the process um, right now. And I know that you know things are slowly opening up. And it's, you know, I th- I'm just taking it one day at a time, like everyone else.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think you're sitting in the intersections that a lot of people are as well, where they're saying there's the state law, there's the federal, fed, uh, federal thoughts, there's the local governmental thoughts that none of them necessarily speak to what's going to be safe for you. Then you have your own personal ethics. And then we're looking at our own mental health, where some people, they, they, they are not thriving in self-isolation. They are depressed, they're lonely. And so it's like, you have to hold all those pieces and it's coming into my practice where people people are saying, here's my mental health needs. Here's what I'm comfortable doing. But what do my ethics say? Because there really is an ethical question in all this.
0: I think, yeah. And, and going to the ethics point of it, I think it's really hard when you see people really show where they stand and you maybe you really care about these people. You're just not in alignment with how they're viewing this virus and what they want to do and what you want to do doesn't align. And so I find myself to not you know, causing a conflict, I'm just not engaging, but it's, we do not have a uniform sense of what is happening right now, nor do we have one uniform way to kind of that everyone's co-signed on. This is the best way to do it. And it's, you know, it's kind of, you're just having to, to, to kind of make those decisions on your own for something that is so profoundly serious. Um, I think that's, I think one of the greatest things that I struggle with on the daily that kind of keeps me up at night is. How how I'm going to navigate this and and how I navigate this, how that'll impact others um, and how that how that'll make me feel. Because, you know, on a selfish note, of course, I'd love to do so many of the things that I miss doing, but I don't think I'll ever be OK with it, knowing that I could be endangering others. 100%.
1: And and, and and I love that it's becoming this piece where people are having to ask themselves, like, what are my ethics? A lot of people have never had to ask themselves that before, because, again, we haven't oh, I don't been...
0: think Not to this level. I That's right. I don't think we've ever had to, to be so mindful. And I think, you know, we have to watch, I think, our language with each other and take care of each other in this time because we don't know what the person is through, that they have not shared with you that might frankly not be any of your business. Right. So you may never even know why they're so frightened to leave their home. You may not know why they're so desperate to do that job that seems unsafe. You know, you don't know people's circumstances. And um, and so there's a lot of judgment and shame. And so just walking, you know, at, walking the dog, you know, I'm all masked up and I'm keeping my my 20 feet away from people doing my my normal thing to, to do my part. But I think also, too, it's part of it is just trying to care for one another in, in a way that's responsible because we don't know other people's circumstances.
1: percent. And I love you pointing that out because that's, that's why we have this thing called psychology, which tells us that everyone's is different and their needs and their causes and their traumas and their histories are different. Not everyone's self isolating in a safe space. And so I appreciate that compassion, like ask people before you judge their decision-making. Yeah, I'm doing out, this
0: pride stuff. And one of the things I keep thinking of that's really daunting. and makes me a little sick to my stomach is imagining how many LGBTQ plus youth are at home. And they used to be able to express themselves safely, whether it's their gender identity, or se- sexual orientation, you name it. But now they're at home where that's, you know, not tolerated at all. It's what, I can't imagine being in this situation now as a teen, growing up in a conservative Christian household, I would have had that smack right out of me, uh, my authentic self. And I think it's really just, it's scary. And I, and I, and I, I understand why a lot of people want to escape those Those environments, you know, and it's it's just a lot right now. And I think we need to try our best, even online, be mindful of, of taking care of each other.
1: You know, beautifully said. And I think, although not ideal that we don't have a physical um, uh, space for Pride to go, I'm glad that it's still available online because for a lot of people, that still will be a full day of them feeling that they have community. Um, So I'm glad it's still happening. And I like
0: it too, what I'm doing for them, just be able to kind of infuse the pieces that are really important to me, whether it's, you know, honoring our elders or um, like Larry Kramer, who passed away, um, I think it was last night or today you know, famous uh, HIV AIDS activist, outspoken in the ACT UP movement, who wrote A Normal Heart, the beautiful HBO movie, but also the the play before it. We lost so many elders and they came before us. And I think pride isn't just about the glitter and the rainbows, it's really about a celebration of our own, you know, LGBTQ queer nature. And also too, just embodying uh, and having a safe space to remember those that came before and fought so hard or the liberties that we take so easily for granted these days, I, I want them to be remembered. And, and while pride from the outside in may just look like rainbows and glitter, it's so much more than that. And so for people to be able to turn on their phones or their digital devices and see people that look like them, that are sending the messages of hope and love and get performances that uplift them, I think is a profound thing right now.
1: Beautiful. Jay Rodriguez, thank you so much. Um, congrats thank this weekend you. on uh, Price is Right. Or not Prices Right. What is it? Family oh, Feud.
0: It's family to Chris. Oh it's all God. the Dr. same
1: Chris. in my head.
0: <laughs> well, if you want more information about that, just follow me at J A I Rodriguez. Got the blue check mark on all the things. Thank you so much for bye, having J, me Bye, Jay. Be and well. Have a great show, night. So continue what you great do. All Thanks.
1: Right, bye. Be well. Bye. Yeah. So beautifully said. I I'm so thankful right now that we have technology. It's given people the ability to still continue working many, but also just put out their passion projects. And I know for me, that's been part of my, my self-care, how I've dealt with my mental health is taking time to connect with others based on watching their, their streaming projects. It's oh my gosh, it's definitely helped me get out of my head and helped, uh, kind of improve some of my mood. So definitely take some time to explore that. There's a lot of people putting out some really interesting work these days. Um, Again, I don't know what we would have done had we not had technology while this was happening. All right, time for our question of the night. Question of the night. Tonight's question is What is the best part about being single? Because, again, there's a lot of good things about being single. We talked about this before. You know, we have to work on not seeing singledom as a negative space to be, it's going to be a part of a lot of people's journeys. Some people seek singledom. There's nothing wrong with that. Many people need to be working, you know, out of relationships. And singledom is an acceptable place to be, to live. Not everyone wants or needs, you know, romantic partnership. Um, it's okay to have multitude of different kinds of relationships around you. We don't have to just seek one kind. So uh, let's see. What are the best parts about being single? Someone said you meet a lot of people. It's actually really, really true. I think when I'm single is when I probably socialize the most and I'm most open to engaging a lot of different kinds of people where... Unfortunately, I think when you date, yeah, you really tend to shrink everything down around that one person. Uh, Someone else said the best part about being single is I can do what I want. See, I want you to be able to do what you want even while in a relationship, right? Because relationships shouldn't be a hostage situation. There should still be freedom to develop yourself, meet new people, go out into the world. Uh, Someone else said you get to have sex with whoever you want. True. True. Depending on if you're monogamous or not, some people prefer the relational style of having a primary partner relationally doesn't mean they don't get to have sex with other people, but I hear what you're saying. Oh, no. Someone said the best part about being single is nothing, but I'm looking at your Instagram picture, and you're clearly in a relationship, so uh, that's why you're saying that. I can see you with someone right there. Someone else said saving more money. Yeah, because when you're single, you might not be worrying about them foodie calls, right? People going on dates just to get free food. Which breaks my heart that that's actually a thing. So else said the best part about being single is focusing your energy on self-care and love and recognizing you are already whole. Agreed. And then bring that whole person into the relationship, thereby making the relationship probably far better. Uh, what else? <clears throat> best parts about being single. instead said having full autonomy and reign of my own schedule. Yeah, it's interesting when some people that are used to running their own schedule get into a relationship, they sometimes think that that's going to mean, I'm just going to drop them into my relationship. I'm sorry. I'm going to drop them into my schedule as it is. Nothing's going to have to change. And I have to remind them like, no, bringing someone into your life is going to mean a disruption of your schedule as you know it. Like you have to make tweaks and changes. So yeah, single means you can just run it the way you want. Somebody else said, uh, best part of being single is doing whatever I want, whenever I want, eating whatever I want. Now, what is this eating part? When you're in a relationship, you can't eat whatever you want. I need to know more about that. Please reach back out and tell us what that means because I eat what I want all the time. <laughs> when I'm single, married, in a relationship, dating five people in an orgy, like I'm gonna eat what I want. You know what I mean? I've actually gotten shame for that, where I literally once went into a bar and I brought a cupcake with me. And I, was, I know it's a little strange, but I was sitting there at the bar eating a cupcake. And I remember my date being like, I can't believe you're doing that right now. And I was like, why? Do I have to look sexy and hot and me eating isn't hot? Because I'm also the one at a party. And in L.A., a lot of people avoid the food and the food table because, you know, God, you can assume why. And I'm over there like chowing down. And it's really funny because I've gotten shade from friends where they're like, put the food down and just like, you know what I mean, focus on the party. And I'm like, I am. Like, I'm here for the food. Like, that's part of why I'm here, right? Anyway, I digress. I digress. Best part about being single. Someone said, I get to love myself how I deserve. No need to translate and teach anyone. Okay. I guess some relationships are about raising other people up. Someone else said, getting to flirt with all the people. I'm not mad at that. Although, I like to be in healthy relationships where if I'm flirting with people, that's not threatening to anyone. I'm still going home with who I'm there with. I'm doing it respectfully if they're okay with it. They're enjoying me getting enjoyed. Some people think that's hot, right? They're like, that's with me. Take it all in. We're going home together. No? Okay, some people don't like that kind of stuff. I know. Uh, someone else said, the best way of being single, more time to focus on myself and my interests and passions, less drama. Yeah. I mean, I hear that. I just wish you all could be in relationships where you still have time and energy for your passions. I know that that's not always the case, but I want it to be Yeah, the best part of being in a relationship. Keep all your money. (laughs) I get it though. I've been in a multiple relationships where I was the higher earner. And so it was on me to spend the money for us to be able to do things I wanted to do. So yeah, I can see we're being single. You definitely are saving a lot. Someone else said the freedom to worry only about yourself. It's true. Best part of it. Being single, silence in my own apartment and just hanging out with myself. I love me. I love that. I love that. Uh, someone else said, being able to eat my favorite foods instead of curry every night. Okay, that's very specific. I'm going to assume that was a specific person and that not every relationship mandates curry every night. However, if you did date me, we would have a lot of curry. I'm a big fan of curry. It's true. I tend to eat the same things. I like ethnic food a lot. We'd have a lot of curry. Uh, but yes, uh, you being single means you can eat whatever you want. Someone else said orgasms. That's fascinating. The best part of being single is orgasms. So I'm going to take that to mean that the sex you have with partners tends not lead to that, but you know how to handle you, and so you get them, right? All right. It's National Orgasm Day, so it's appropriate, right? There we go. Somebody else said the best part of being single is getting to know and grow with myself and for myself. Okay. I'll take it. Uh, somebody else said independence and freedom. Uh yes. Because some people enter these relationships where it's nothing but confines and limits. And they start to shrink down and they have to like push away friends and they can't engage in their passions and just should not be how it is. Again, it should be expansive. This person should be witnessing the world with you. It shouldn't be a shrinkage. Anywho, okay. Uh, best part of being single, someone said getting to experience different types of sex and kinks with different people. Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you're in a monogamous relationship, your sexual limits are going to be limited by their limits, right? Because they say they won't do certain things, you say you are not going to do certain things, and then we do whatever's left over, and that's never that great, right? Like, leftover sex. So, yeah, singledom. I agree with that, though. Um, my singledom, I get to have a lot of sexual exploration. Uh, best part of being single... I'm not single anymore. I'm, lo- I'm in a loving relationship. All right, congrats. Uh, but what I will say, something I did love about being single, is being forced to be independent and deal with things on my own. I grew a lot being single and having to face things without that going to partner to lean on. Yeah, you learn a little bit of uh, self, self-dependence, independence. Thank you for those who have participated. These are really, really great answers. Um, coming up next, we're going to be sliding into the DMs. Listen to Love Live Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Okay, it's that time. Time to slide on into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Here we go. Dr. Chris, I started dating a guy last year who was introduced to me via a threesome proposal from his now ex-girlfriend, which never happened. A year later, he and I ended up dating. Almost a year in now, it's become really toxic. Fulfilling fantasies basically took over, and our relationship went from something real to full-on threesomes only. And it got to the point where he wanted to introduce strangers into the mix. I know it's toxic, verbally abusive, but that devil D. <laughs> oh my gosh, just made my night. Just made my entire night with that. So now, what should or can I do to move on or pull away from their toxicness? Please drop some gems for Sista. Okay, so number one, uh, I send out my heart heart and empathy to you because I know how difficult it is when you're with someone and there's some component of it that's really keeping you in there, whether it's the sexual connection and chemistry or, excuse me, it's some other level of compatibility or interest. But I'm happy and thankful that you have enough care and self esteem that you're stepping back and you're saying, Is this good for me? Because sometimes people will rationalize sticking around in something and they'll deny that it's toxic or problematic or not what they want because of these levels of chemistry and compatibility or whatnot. So, unfortunately, what can happen sometimes is when you meet someone and you meet someone in the context of something really kinky, you met them in the context of a possible three way, you know, the other person gets really excited thinking, This is someone who's willing to go on this sexual journey with me. And it's understandable that you're saying I don't want that to be the entirety of our relationship and I don't want our sex life to always be centered around kind of pushing the boundaries and exploring it can it can stress you out it can wear you down. I'm not sure what elements of it are verbally abusive, but if you're calling it that, I'm going to trust it and I'm going to support you in realizing that you you need to maybe leave. I always want to say first though that talk about it. Why do I say that? Because I work with some couples where they make a decision that something can't be changed or that the person isn't willing to change and they end it. Having never given the other person the opportunity to really be held accountable to what's going on and to really be asked and requested to make some changes. And I I want you to hear from this person a no or a yes first. So approach them about it. Hey, we met in the context of a possible threesome. Since then, we've had a really creative, diversified sex life. It's not working for me, or I feel like I need to say no, or set some boundaries, and either I'm afraid I would lose you in doing so, or you've said you would leave me if I did that. Really say to them, I'm at a point where I need to take care of myself and this isn't working and I need to leave. It's feeling toxic. Are you open to making some changes? Are you open to changing the way we relate sexually? And if they say, yeah, I'm in, that's great. And if they're not open to that or they start to kind of, you know, say that you're sex phobic or you're sex negative or whatever it is, bounce. Because anyone who really wants to be in a relationship with you has to be open to being told that the way you're currently relating or the way sex is going isn't necessarily what you want. And they have to be open to making some tweaks and some changes. And so, again, you're using the word verbally abusive and that's not okay. And so... Give them a chance to possibly be willing to make some changes and see if that's that can happen. But if not, you got my permission to leave. So there's my gem for you. Uh, all right. We got time. Nope, we don't. Okay. So we're, we're going to go. I had another DM. We'll save that to tomorrow night. But as always, hit us up on our Love on IG page with your other questions. And you can always call in 833-LOVE-001. You guys, thanks for hanging out with me. It's been an awesome Tuesday night. I started the show thinking it was Wednesday. It's only Tuesday. We got a few more days, but you know, we got it in us. We can do it. Get through those days. I'll be back tomorrow night. So come back and hang out with me. See
2: you guys tomorrow night. Have an awesome night. Good night.